if you will, turn in your Bibles to the 40th chapter, the book of Isaiah, as we continue our study through the word. We have come now to the beginning of the second half of the book of Isaiah. Isaiah really is portioned off into two distinct sections. The, the first section is the first 39 chapters. Now you'll remember that the book of Isaiah has 66 chapters just like the Bible has 66 books. And just as in the Bible, we have the Old Testament that's made up of 39 books and the New Testament that is made up of 27 books. We also see that there is a distinct correlation in the first 39 chapters of the book of Isaiah really deal with judgment and the judgment of God really is correlated to the law of God. And then we see that there is the the final 27 chapters of the Bible, the, the New Testament, and this speaks about the grace of God, the grace of God. We are going to see these final 27 chapters now in the book of Isaiah are going to really speak about the future plan, the restoration, the peace, and, and the love uh, that God has for the nation of Israel. And so we will be seeing now the, the love and the grace that God has for us. You will realize that when Isaiah is prophesying the things that we are going to be looking at the, during the course of the next 27 chapters, that the nation, Judah, is still going to be in existence for another hundred years before they are going to be taken into captivity by the Babylonians. And then they will be in captivity for another 70 years. And so Isaiah is now prophesying out 170 years from the time that he is living. And this is the time that the nation is going to be restored. This is the time when, when the captives are going to be set free from Babylon and they will come back and, and reestablish and rebuild the temple. And, and God is not going to cut his people off and remember them no more. And so there is a future and a hope. God's plan, redemptive plan for the world centers around Jerusalem, around the nation of Israel. And though they were taken into captivity and judged, and though also they were dispersed in AD 70 by the, the Romans, we see that God still has a plan for the redemption of mankind through Jerusalem. And so we will see the that the nation came back together again in 1948, in May of 1948, the rebirth of the nation. We see that there will be a temple that is going to be rebuilt. We will see that Jesus Christ is going to return to this earth and that he will rule and reign from Jerusalem. And, and so we see that though there were these times where the nation was destroyed and, and the temple was destroyed and the people were dispersed. God has had his plan and he recorded that plan before they were even dispersed the first time, before they were even taken into captivity by the Babylonians. And, and so we see God declaring his future plan that we might continue to rest in the future hope that we have. Our hope is in Jesus Christ. In the midst of the turmoil that we are going through as a nation and in the midst of the pandemic, we see that our hope is, was, and always will be Jesus Christ. That he is the one that we can trust and that God knows the challenges and the problems that we are going to experience. And, and though in this world you will have tribulation. We have the solid rock of Jesus Christ upon whom we can put our trust in. And so he is a shelter from the storm. His goodness, he continues to declare it, that we might know 
that the end, we have the eternal presence of the Father waiting for us, that we will spend this glorious eternity encapsulated in his love and his grace. We are experiencing trials and tribulations, but the Lord tells us to cast our cares upon him, to cast our cares because he cares for us. God loves you. And more than anything else, tonight, my desire, my prayer is that you would know how much God loves you and he cares about you. And he cares about your difficulties and your compression. And he cares about your fatigue and your anxiety. He, he cares about all of that. And he, he welcomes us tonight to come and to just unburden ourselves uh, onto the Lord. And allow the Lord to just minister to us and to sing a new song over us here Though the Assyrian threat was gone, now the Assyrians will be in decline. The Babylonians are going to come on the rise. And, but here we, we see that the promise to the nation is you have nothing to be afraid of. I will never cast you away and cut you off and remember you no more. So let's see now how Isaiah in these next 27 chapters ministers to the nation that yes there is going to be a judgment that is going to come but it doesn't end with judgment it ends with the restoration and with a glorious uh, hope we begin here in isaiah 40 beginning in verse 1 and it says comfort yes comfort my people says your god speak comfort to jerusalem and cry out to her that her warfare is ended that her iniquity is pardoned, for she has received from the Lord's hand double for all her sins. We see that God had said in his covenant that he would bless his people if they lived according to his word, but that if the, oh, they disobeyed, uh, that they would then experience judgment and also even being cast out of the land. We See, here in this first part of Isaiah was a man relating to God through the law, but now we begin to relate to God through grace and towards us in Christ Jesus. And, and so the second section of Isaiah begins with the words comfort. Yes, comfort my people. In verse 3, the voice of one crying in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord, make straight in the desert, a highway for our God. And every valley shall be exalted, and every mountain and hill brought low, and the crooked places shall be made straight, and the rough places smooth. Here again, we see that this is prophetic of the ministry of John the Baptist, to the voice of one crying in the wilderness now, prepare the way of the Lord. Make straight in the desert a highway for our God. You remember that John the Baptist's ministry was one of preparation. He was to go before the Messiah now to call the nation to repentance, to get their hearts right, to make our hearts straight before the Lord. I think that that is always such a, a good reminder to us that in our own lives, how important it is for us to keep our relationship with God in right working order, that we are to continue not to turn to the left or to turn to the right, not to go into the valley of depression or to go into the mountaintops of pride, but to just simply keep our hearts focused and fixed on the Lord and the things of the Lord. It says in verse 5, the glory of the Lord shall be revealed and all flesh shall see it together for the mouth of the Lord has spoken. Here we see that this speaks now of Jesus Christ, of how God is going to be revealed to all flesh. And you remember that the Father was revealed to us through Jesus Christ. 
He is the, the direct and physical representation of the Father. You will remember that Jesus said to Philip when Philip said, if you'll just show us the Father, just show us the Father, Jesus. And you remember that Jesus' response was, if you have seen me, you have seen the Father. The glory of the Lord, the character of God, the nature of of God his compassion his gentleness his loving kindness speaking of Jesus that a bruised reed he will not break when a, a reed the thin reeds that you will find along the the river banks and, and how a thin reed a bruised reed he won't break it and a, a smoking flax and that speaks you remember that they always had the oil lamps and and the the flax and now was the wick that would dip into that olive oil that would light their lamps and and when the olive oil was going out when there was very little left in that there would be barely a flame just barely a flame and it says that 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 a smoking flax and he won't extinguish the the gentleness of how just the slightest puff of air would extinguish that. And it speaks about the, the concern that God has for, for you and I. Sometimes it can feel like we are holding on, like a bruised reed, or, uh, or that our faith sometimes begins to smolder like, uh, like a lamp that's about to, to go out. But God is there to strengthen, to encourage, to, to help us, to sustain us through the difficult hardships in life. We don't get to choose the trials that we go through. God is the one that has appointed the times that we would live and, and the tribulations that we will experience in our life. But know that he has already seen the tribulation ahead of time. God has already seen the coronavirus, knows that we would be living in just such a time as this, and has called us now to, to connect by faith to him and to trust him completely with our whole hearts, with our whole lives, that we wouldn't allow fear to overcome us to such a place that, that we wouldn't be able to love that fear and faith are always in a battle with one another. And, and now is the time for us to step more fully into our faith and, and to abate the fear that is in our life by trusting God, to rise above the fear, to continue to think about others, to reach out to others, to be concerned for others. In times of calamity, Focus oftentimes turns to self. And instead of looking outward, we tend to look inward at just our own selves. And, and suddenly it can become this every man for himself. And you see panic shopping and panic buying. And, and you see people moved by panic. Where fear is now the motivation behind their actions. God wants us to be prepared he wants us to use wisdom but he doesn't want us to be in panic mode he doesn't want us to be fearful he wants us to use every precaution use the wisdom that he's given to us and then rest in him trust in him and rise above what everybody else is is now being pushed and bullied by fear and anxiety and depression in their life, that there is freedom for the child of God to, yes, we, we are inconvenienced in our lives. Yes, our lives have radically changed. We are not living according to the way that we used to any longer. I know in, in speaking to people, simple things like, what day is it today? And, and you can have three people sitting there. I think it's Wednesday, is it Tuesday? It's interesting how the time stamp of our routines has, has been removed and, and how now days can feel very similar to one another without, without the routines of, of weeks right now. 
but to trust the Lord. All your heart. Don't lean on your own understanding. In voice six, the voice said, cry out. And he said, what shall I cry? All flesh is grass and all its loveliness is like the flower of the field. The grass wither, the flower fades because the breath of the Lord blows upon it. And surely the people are grass. And the grass withers and the flower fades. But the word of our God stands forever. So in life you have all of these things that pass through. And even our own life passes through here upon this earth. But there is one thing that does not pass away. And that is the word of God. God never changes. He is the same yesterday, today, and forever. And God's word never changes. What God has declared will come to pass. It, it, there is no variance in God whatsoever. Seasons change. Day turns into night, turns into day. Years turn into decades. And, and we see the transient nature of, of life here upon this earth. Even the, the life cycle is transient in its very nature. Birth gives way to new life, gives way to death, and the cycle continues. But there is no cycle with the Word of God. It stands. It abides. It is absolutely permanent. And so verse 9, O Zion, you who bring good tidings, Get up into the high mountain. O Jerusalem, you who bring good tidings, lift up your voice with strength. Lift it up and be not afraid. Say to the cities of Judah, behold your God. So what is it that fights fear? Here we see that it says, lift up your eyes and behold our God. Don't be afraid. Behold our God. And that is what I would encourage each and every one of us with. Do not be afraid. Get your eyes up, up above coronavirus, up to the heavens. Behold our God. And we have nothing to be afraid of when we are beholding our God. In verse 10, Behold, the Lord God shall come with a strong hand, and his arm shall rule for him. And behold, his reward is with him, and his work before him. He will feed his flock like a shepherd. He will gather the lambs with his arm and carry them in his bosom and gently lead those who are with young. You remember the words of John the Baptist, Behold the Lamb of God and takes away the sins of the world. And also the promise that I am the good shepherd, Jesus says, and the good shepherd who gives his life for the sheep. We are the flock and the Lord is uh, our shepherd and he will shepherd us through difficulties and through hardships he knows how to take us and put us into his protective arm when we are too weak to be led lean on the Lord press into the Lord trust in the Lord Verse 12, who has measured the waters in the hollow of his hand, measured heaven with a span, and calculated the dust of the earth in a measure, weighed the mountains and scales and the hills in a, a balance. And here we see that he is such a powerful creator, God. Look at the, his enormous greatness. These are rhetorical questions. Who has directed the spirit of the Lord or as his counselor has taught him? With whom did he take counsel and who instructed him and taught him in the path of justice? Who taught him knowledge and showed him the way of understanding? Here we see that Isaiah is referencing the infinite knowledge and the skill that God possesses to stop and ponder about the greatness and goodness of God. I find that... In difficult times, we tend to be pondering the difficulties of the difficult times instead of pondering the greatness of God. And that is putting our eyes down to the things of the world, the cares and the burdens that we have. And, and we see that the Bible, again, tells us to cast the cares on him. Keep lifting your eyes to him. 
keep your eyes uh, up and and as we meditate on the power of God the goodness of God the grace of God the love of God the eternal nature of God as we look towards heaven the marriage supper of the lamb the eternal state the millennial reign there is a glorious future right now that each and every one of us has before us and coronavirus cannot change the future that God has uh, for us I know the plans that I have for you, God says. They are good plans. They are great plans. Hold on to that plan and, and to trust in that and to rest in that. Will we go through tribulation? Yes, we will go through tribulation. Jesus said it. But that doesn't change the great plan that God has for, for each and every one of us. And heaven is the great plan that, that God has for every single person who has made the Lord their shepherd who has made the Lord their Savior. And so the greatness uh, of God. Behold, the nations as, are as a drop in a bucket and are counted as the small dust on the scales. Nations compared to God are small dust on the scales of God. They are nothing. What is man that you are mindful of us, our accomplishments, our achievements, our civilization, our buildings, our planes, our rockets, our satellites, our cell phones, our, our smartphones, our computers? What, what is all of that compared to the infinite knowledge and power of God? It is nothing. Isaiah here says that that the nations are as the small dust on the scales. In the ancient of days they used to have, or in ancient days they, they used to have the seven wonders of the, of the world. The seven wonders of the world. But what are the seven wonders of the world in comparison to, to the wonders of God? To the infinite wonders of God. Look, he lifts up the isles as a very little thing in Lebanon is not sufficient to burn, nor its beasts sufficient for a burnt offering. All nations before him are as nothing, and they are counted by him less than nothing and worthless. To whom then will you liken God? Or what likeness will you compare to him? Isaiah is really boring into the greatness of God. To just stop and meditate on how great is God. We sing that song, how great is our God. Sing with me, how great is our God. That's what Isaiah is doing right now in declaring the, the nature and the character of God. To whom then will you liken God? Or what likeness will you compare to him? The workman molds an image. The goldsmith overspreads it with gold. And the silversmith casts silver chains. Whoever is too impoverished for such a contribution chooses a tree that will not rot. He seeks for himself a skillful workman to prepare a carved image that will not totter. We see here that, that the idol makers, he's talking about idols and bowing down to false gods and, and to idols. And, and he is talking about how the people that make idols are using materials that God created, the true and the living God created, all of the materials. And they're going to use the materials God created to fashion and form a God that doesn't exist. And the futility of worshiping when there is no truth behind the worship. They prepare a carved image that will not totter. They have to prop up their God. Have you not known? Have you not heard? Has it not been told you from the beginning? Have you not understood from the foundations of the earth? It is he who sits above the circle of the earth and its inhabitants are like grasshoppers 
who stretches out the heavens like a curtain and spreads them out like a tent to dwell in. Look in verse 22 how he talks about the circle of the earth, how the earth is a sphere, and, and yet the scientific community in early days thought that the, that the earth wasn't flat and that you would fall off the end of the earth. And, but here we see that the scripture tells us in Isaiah's day that the earth is a circle, that the earth is a, a sphere. Have you not known? Have you not heard? In verse 23, he brings the princes to nothing, for he makes the judges of the earth useless. We see once again the sovereign nature of God. He raises up nations, he takes down nations. He raises up kings and takes kings down. We see that this is his created universe. We live within God's creation. We are a part of his creation. We were created by God and there is no other God. There is no other God. And scarcely shall they be planted and scarcely they shall be sown. Scarcely shall their stock take root in the earth when he will also blow on them and they will wither and the whirlwind will take them away like in stubble. We see here that, that Isaiah is comforting now the readers who were living underneath the threat of the Assyrian Empire. And they, when they heard this prophecy that the Babylonian Empire was the one that would take them into captivity, not the Assyrian Empire, to whom then will you liken me? Or to whom shall I be equal, says the Holy One? Lift up your eyes on high and see who has created these things. Who brings out their host by number. He calls them all by name. By the greatness of his might and the strength of his power, not one is missing. Why do you say, O Jacob, and speak, O Israel, my way is hidden from the Lord, and my just claim is passed over by my God. Have you not known and have you not heard the everlasting God, the Lord, the creator of the ends of the earth, never faints nor is weary. His understanding is unsearchable. You may feel like, God, don't you see the good things that I am doing or the good things that I am doing hidden from your sight? And the answer is no. The good things that you are doing are not hidden from God's sight. Nothing is hidden from God's sight. Nor are the bad things that you are doing hidden from God's sight. You can never wait till God falls asleep to then do things while God is sleeping. He never faints. He, he never grows tired. He's never too tired to, to watch over you and, and to love you. We see that his understanding is unsearchable. He is the everlasting God. He is the Lord. He is the creator of the ends of the earth. In verse 29, he gives power to the weak. And to those who have no might, he increases strength. Even the youths shall faint and be weary, and the young man shall utterly fall. But those who wait on the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with the wings like eagles, and they shall run and not be weary. And they shall walk and not faint. Those who what? Those who wait on the Lord. Waiting on the Lord. Putting your trust in the Lord. It says that he shall renew their strength. That we are able to constantly be refreshed by the Lord. Even in the midst of great hardship. Even in the midst of difficulty even in the midst of coronavirus even in the midst of the fatigue that you may be feeling 
So many people are feeling fatigued now. We were talking about it, the pastors and, and myself were talking about the fatigue, the fatigue from the news, the fatigue of, uh, of the upsetness of our lives and the routines all changing. And it, it just keeps coming at us and it just keeps coming at us and it just keeps coming at us. The things that we used to do to refresh, to get away for a weekend, to go camping, to go relax, to go, th those things are all shut down as we're being told to shelter in place. And, and so where does our refreshment come from? How are we renewed when, when those activities uh, are cut off? Our, our entertainment has changed. There's no golden nights on television. There's no sports being played. There's no diversions. The normal things that we used to, to watch, to look at, to entertain us. Now, now, these things have been removed from us. Then how do we refresh ourselves? It says those who wait on the Lord shall renew their strength. And it says, and they shall mount up with Wings like eagles. I want you to know an interesting thing about eagles I remember learning one time is that when the eagle's wings, when they spread them all the way out, they can lock them into position when they're fully outstretched to where it takes now no strength for them to have those wings. They're just locked into position. And they then they ride the currents uh, of the air. They will find the updrafts, the, the heat now from the, from the earth that has uh, been warmed by the sun creates these, uh, these updrafts. And, and they will just glide upwards on these currents uh, in the air. And they will rise to high altitudes. And, and then they will move out of those currents and start to ride the winds. And they do it without ever flapping their wings. They're not like the, the birds that you see that go flying by, the ducks and, and the geese and all that, that take turns and plowing through the air and forming wedges and, and the birds that, that fly through that flap their, their wings. You see, an eagle, he just locks his wings. And then he just rides the currents effortlessly. He is now moved by the unseen forces here, but he's not flapping. He's not striving. It says that those who wait on the Lord, that, that you will be strengthened, that you will renew your strength, and, and they will mount up with the wings like eagles. They shall run and not be weary. Notice that, that, that we are going to run that we're going to continue to run the race, but we're not going to grow weary. We're going to continue to be able to love others and to think of others and, and to be outside of ourselves. And we won't grow weary. Why? Because we're just riding the current of God's love. And we're not doing it in our own strength and we're not flapping our wings and running around and, and trying to panic by and, and do everything and, out of fear and anxiety and stress. And, and we're not being ruled over by the what-ifs and, and the could-haves and the would-haves and, and the might-nots and the regrets. We're, we're just riding the currents of God's love. We're just locked in in our relationship with the Lord. And we are now, we're running the race, but we're not growing weary. We're not being frazzled and pulled apart by the turbulence. We rise above it. We rise above it. They shall walk and, and not faint. What a beautiful picture of us being connected to the Lord and the way that the Lord sustains us. The way that the Lord sustains us. In chapter 41, we see that Israel is going to be assured of God's help. And when we have blown it, when we have failed, when we have sinned, when we have fallen, when we haven't lived as we ought to have, when, when we lose our composure and lose our temper, when anger gets the best of us or we fall in temptation, God, God forgives us. 
God forgives us. He doesn't turn his back on us. He doesn't say that that's it. I'm done with you. And, and though the nation had stumbled and fallen away from the Lord, God will never quit on the nation. And so here we see that God's promise of help and provision. God desires that we would just simply repent, just get our life right with him, just acknowledge our wrongdoing and tell him we're sorry. And he restores relationship with us. We never have to be afraid that we have ever moved past the love of God in our life. God loves you with an eternal, everlasting love. And here we see the nation, though they were going to be judged and taken into captivity, they would not be forgotten. Verse 1, Keep silence before me, O coastlands, and let the people renew their strength, and let them come near, then let them speak, and let us come near together for judgment. We see here that God is summoning the, the nations to to a confrontation and and here they are to raise their arguments and in verse 2 who raised up one from the east who in righteousness called him to his feet who gave the nations before him and made him rule over kings we we see here that that God is talking about Cyrus Cyrus is the one that is going to come from the east and and he had given him the nations before him he had an unbroken record of victories and and the resistance against him was as weak as dust and and stubble and he advanced swiftly into the places and and the question here is who raised up cyrus who raised him up? Who gave them as the dust to his sword, as driven stubble to his bow? Who pursued them and passed safely by the way that he had not gone with his feet? Who has performed and done it, calling the generations from the beginning? I, the Lord, am the first, and with the last uh, I am he. I was with the first generation and I, and I will be with the last generation that, that I am the same yesterday, today, and forever. The coastlands saw it and feared. The ends of the earth were afraid. They drew near and came and everyone helped his neighbor and said to his brother, be of good courage. So the craftsmen encouraged the goldsmith and he who smooths with the hammer inspired him who strikes the anvil, saying, It is ready for the soldering. Then he fastened it with pegs that it might not totter. The nations were terrified now as they heard of the conqueror's uh, approach, and, and they tried to encourage one another as if there was nothing to fear. And, so they were fashioning these idols to save them from destruction. But the idol has to be nailed into place so that it doesn't totter. But you, Israel, are my servant, Jacob, whom I have chosen. The descendants of Abraham, my friend. You whom I have taken from the ends of the earth and called from its farthest regions, and said to you, you are my servant. I have chosen you and have not cast you away. Fear not, for I am with you. And be not dismayed, for I am your God. I will strengthen you. Yes, I will help you. And I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. God has called them from Ur of the Chaldeans to be his servant and they are assured of his presence, his relationship, his help and his sustaining power. We see that it says that servants are chosen by God and for this glorious relationship that we have with him. God loves you. You are chosen. You are invited to enter into communion with God. 
Behold, all those who were incensed against you shall be ashamed and disgraced. They shall be as nothing, and those who strive with you shall perish. You shall seek them and not find them. Those who contended with you, those who war against you, shall be as nothing, as a, a non-existent thing. For I, the Lord your God, will hold your right hand, saying to you, Fear not, I will help you. And so here we see that God is our helper and God is our redeemer. Fear not, you worm Jacob, you men of Israel. I will help you, says the Lord. And your redeemer, the Holy One of Israel, behold, I will make you into a, a new threshing sled with sharp teeth. You shall thresh the mountains and beat them small and make the hills like chaff. You shall winnow them. The wind shall carry them away and the whirlwind shall scatter them. And you shall rejoice in the Lord and glory in the Holy One of Israel. And so here we see your Redeemer, the Holy One of Israel, this is the introduction of Jesus here. He is our kinsman redeemer. And the Lord is going to use Israel as a threshing sled against the nations. And Israel will rejoice in the Lord alone. The poor and the needy seek water, but there is none. Their tongues fail for thirst. I, the Lord, will hear them. I, the God of Israel, will not forsake them. I will open rivers and desolate heights and fountains in the midst of the valleys. I will make the wilderness a pool of water and the dry land springs of water. I will plant in the wilderness the cedar and the acacia tree, the myrtle and the oil tree. And I will set in the desert the cypress tree and the pine and the box tree together that they may see and know and consider and understand together that the hand of the Lord has done this and the Holy One of Israel has created it. And so here we see the poor and the needy will be cared for by the Lord. In the millennial reign, there is going to be this water in abundance and the wilderness is going to flourish with every single different variety of tree will demonstrate how the Lord cares for his own. And so our trust is in the Lord and the things of the Lord. Verse 21, we see, begins a section on the futility of idols and, and how worthless idols are. Present your case, says the Lord. Bring forth your strong reasons, says the king of Jacob. And, and so God switches back once again to his controversy with the, the nations. And he challenges them to produce idols, which can predict things to come or even account for things that, that already are. He says in verse 22, let them bring forth and show us what will happen. Let them show the former things, what they were, that we may consider them and know the latter end of them or declare to us things to come. Here again, we see false religions. They, they all have their teachings, but which of them can tell us how all of this came into being? Who can tell us the things that are going to come in the future with any degree of certainty? They are incapable and so here we see that God once again declaring that he knows the end from the beginning and by his declaration of, of all of these things, we might know that he is the true and the living God and, and there is no other God. You see, we are not to take a, a set of moral teachings and make them our God. We are not to take a philosophy of life and make that our God. We are not to bow down to any false religions, but how do we know which is the right religion? How do we know who is the true and the living God? And, and I want you to know here is Isaiah 
writing these questions and, and the Lord now speaking to the nations about this very question. How do you know what you worship is true? Your worship can be heartfelt. You, you can truly believe what you believe. But no amount of earnestness of belief will take something which isn't true and make it true. How do you know what you worship is true? God is inviting us to test this. And he asks, and all of these other religions which are symbolic now of idols, any body of belief that, that you set to guide your life that you are going to subordinate yourself to and and to align yourself and live by he, he's referencing that as a as an idol as this wooden idol carved by man it's a man-made instrument that you are now going to bow down to and, and he asks now and when you look at all of the different religions which one of them can tell you the the things that will happen that had told you the things that were going to happen and and know the things that are yet to come verse 23 show the things that are to come hereafter that we may know that you are gods prove yourself right now declare the things that are going to happen in the future and every religion in the world is silent no one will dare declare the things that are going to come and yet we see so much of the Bible is prophecy. The number of predictions that are foretold in minute detail by the scriptures. And even just the ones that have to do with Jesus Christ himself in his first coming. And also all of the prophecies that are yet to be fulfilled in his second coming in minute detail. Jesus said, don't think that I came to abolish the law. I came to fulfill it. Not one daughter tittle will pass away from God's word without it coming to be fulfilled exactly as it is declared. Show the things that are to come hereafter that we may know that you are God's. Yes, do good or do evil that we may be dismayed and see it together and indeed you are nothing and your work is nothing and he who chooses you is an abomination. Let them prophesy. Let them do good or evil. Anything to show that they can do something. But they cannot. Verse 25. I have raised up one from the north, and he shall come from the rising of the sun. He shall call on my name. And he shall come against princes as though mortar, as the potter treads in clay. And Cyrus comes here again into view in verse 25. And, and here he is referred to as one from the north. Now, he originally came from Persia. That's the east. But then he conquered the Medes. And Media was north. And then proceeded on his conquest uh, from there. <coughs> the book of Ezra contains a number of reports on the progress of the work related to the decree of Cyrus. And, and you remember that Cyrus is the one then that comes and conquers the Babylonian is the one that sets the, the Israelites free, sends them back now to their homeland. Daniel, you remember, was a member of his court, of Cyrus's court. And so here we have long before, a hundred years before they're taken into captivity, they're in captivity for 70 years, and then that's when Cyrus is going to show up. The Medo-Persians are the ones that, uh, that come and conquer the Babylonians. And, and so here we see that, that the Lord is asking, Do, can, can anybody declare the future? What of these false idols and... And who can tell us the things that are to come? But, 
but he keeps interweaving with that now the the prophecy of Cyrus that yes they're going to go into captivity but they're going to come out of captivity and he's going to raise Cyrus up and Cyrus is going to sweep through and eventually then come to the Babylonians and and he will overpower the Babylonians and then he will set the Israelites free and and send them back. You remember that Zerubbabel and Ezra and, and all are going to lead back now the, to the rebuilding of their nation under the decree from Cyrus. Who has declared from the beginning that we may know in former times that we may say he is righteous? Surely there is no one who shows. Surely there is no one who declares. And surely there is no one who hears your words. The first time I said to Zion, look, there they are. And I will give to Jerusalem one who brings good tidings. We see that no idol had ever predicted the coming of Cyrus. God told in advance to his people. But now, all idols are silent. For I looked and there was no man. I looked among them, but there was no counselor. Who, when I asked of them, could answer a word? Indeed, they are all worthless. Their works are nothing. Their molded images are wind and confusion. We see the contrast between wind and confusion to God, to his unfailing, unchanging word. He declares it ahead of time that when it comes to pass that you may know that you can trust him and that he is for you and that he loves you. Put your trust in the Lord. With all that we are going through, put all of your trust in the Lord. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word. You are who you say you are. And you have demonstrated it. You have proved it through your word. That our faith is not a blind faith, but it is a, a, an intelligent faith. That you have demonstrated beyond a shadow of a doubt for those who would come and look. That, that you have declared, who can match me? And who is like me? And the answer, God, is there is no one like Thank you for sending us Jesus Christ. Thank you for our salvation that we have in him. And Lord, thank you for the great love that you have for us. And it's in Jesus' holy and precious name we pray. Amen. Amen.